You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Tony Evans. I'm the football editor of The Times, and I'm sitting in this week for Gab Marcotti simply because no one else was available. I've got Stuart Robson and James Scowcroft. I'm going to talk about all the issues in football this week. And let's face it, it's been a great Premier League weekend, and we're looking forward to a fantastic Champions League couple of nights. We're going to start off by talking about Liverpool QPR. Headed away, and an opportunity now for Liverpool on the counter attack. Will break quickly with Coutinho. It's a good ball for for Sterling. Raheem Sterling! In off Colcat. And he's 3 2. Liverpool winning with almost the last kick of the game. Delight for Brendan Rodgers. He'll be honest enough to admit that QPR don't deserve to lose this. Liverpool were pretty poor yet again. They were. Uh, as Brendan Rodgers said, they didn't play at high enough tempo. Their passing wasn't quite good enough. They've got a centre forward that doesn't want to run in behind and doesn't want to hold up the play. Uh, it's not working hard enough. They've got a defence at the moment that looks disjointed. They're not quite sure whether to squeeze up, whether to drop off. They're not making decisive decisions. So at times they were outplayed by a QPR side that, that played well and they had two up front and the two centre-halves didn't deal with that for quite some while. James, I've ask you, that ball drops to you. You're Balotelli. You've scored. You're celebrating. You take your shirt off you're getting booked aren't you possibly I think he, he probably celebrated before it actually went in really it's just lack of concentration isn't it he's uh, I think a player who's on top of his game your timing everything is just immaculate and obviously he's a million miles off his, off his best so far Balotelli Stuart sure, do you think the problem with him is he's in the wrong team I mean Liverpool are a, a team designed to break quick move the ball fast and Balotelli's great strength appears to me is to hold the ball up wait till he feels that defender on his you know on his back and then turn him and you know and lash a shot I've watched Balotelli now for three years I watched nearly every game he played in Italy I've watched every game he played for the Italian national team and I've seen two or three of his games for Liverpool I'm not sure what all the fuss is about you know people say he's a talented player you know and he's got problems off the field and sometimes it's his attitude I'm not sure he's got those talents that everybody keeps telling me about I've seen him score some good goals for Milan but week in week out he was one of their worst players he lost control of the ball he didn't make the right sort of runs that's been going on for three or four years now at what point is he going to change I, I, I can't see him changing I think this is what Balotelli is a very average player that's got problems on and off the field James do you agree? Listen there's, there's a lot of hype about him and I think some of the hype is, is unjustified. I haven't seen enough of Balotelli like Stuart. I think he was in a very, very good Man City side, which, you know, probably I could even still score goals in their side of a couple of years ago there. I, th- I thought he was, he was excellent against England in the World Cup in the mm. summer and when, when Liverpool signed I thought yeah I, c- I can see why but you know at the moment he's a million miles if you, and if you remember and I was commentating on the game the semi the, not the semi the last game of the group stages Uruguay versus Italy the only way Italy were going to lose that game or not qualify is, is if somebody got sent off and Prandelli had to take him off at half time because he was going to get himself sent off he was being wound up by Godin the centre half and at some point he was going to get sent off when you have to take a player off because he's going to be sent off in the biggest game in Italy's recent uh, history that's a real worry for any manager taking him on I still think he'll come good I still think he'll be better than what he's showing at the moment and I think maybe they need a Sturridge back very very quickly just to take the pressure off him a little bit just so there isn't that spotlight on him to score goals but you know it's a big week for Liverpool Would he get in the team if Sturridge comes back in or would Sturridge be up front by himself and Sterling one side of him Lallana maybe and, and Coutinho behind and, and, and then Balotelli's out the, out, the, out the picture Unless he goes back to his diamond system and plays a two up 
you know, you don't know, but I, I think Liverpool going away from Palace needs Sturridge back. Moving forward to the Real Madrid game, Stuart, what do you think of the Liverpool defence? I mean, it, clearly, they're insecure on crosses, the full-backs overcommit, and they lead too many goals. Brendan Rodgers, it seems to be a theme of almost his managerial career, is he doesn't, it's not a strongest area, let's say, setting mm. up defences. I mean, what, do, what, do you, what would you do well, with that defence? At the moment, he's got players at fullback, and, and his philosophy is that he wants his fullbacks to get forward and, and, and get crosses into the box. You know, Johnson played against QPR, Enrique. They're both better attacking fullbacks than they are defensive. So that leaves a lot of pressure on the centre half. There's a lot of space down the side of them. Now, there's one way you can compensate that is you have a couple of really good holding midfield players. I'm not sure at the moment Liverpool got good holding midfield players. Stephen Gerrard's a wonderful passer, we know that. But defensively, and I saw him recently against West Ham where he was run down the sides, down in run off of him when he was playing in the, in the hole behind the main strikers. Uh, and I don't think you want Henderson playing as another holding midfield player. So that's another area of problem. It's not just the centre-halves, it's not just the full-backs, it's the two holding midfield players as well. I think that's a massive problem for Liverpool if they want their full-backs to go forward. If you want to just keep a flat back for and you want to make sure your full-backs stay in a good defence position and you get an understanding then you can have more expansive midfield players What about QPR? Are they going down? I think he has to make a mind up how he wants to play Harry Redknapp you know, at the beginning of the season he wanted to play with three at the back and that was his vision he brought in Isla to play on one side Traore already had as a left wing back the other side uh, he brought three midfield or midfield players that could play in that system he bought, he's got lots of centre halves that can play in that system but because it didn't work the first couple of weeks he then I think the players probably said well he can't play this system which players always do when things aren't going well and instead of sticking with that and making sure that he played with the two up front that he wanted to play and I still think Vargas, I know uh, Zamora played well yesterday, but if Vargas played up front with Austin, there'd be a real handful. I think he should have stayed with his with his back three, worked at it constantly on the training field with Glenn Hoddle, with with uh, Joe Jordan, whoever's the the coaching team is there, and made sure it worked. But he's swapped and changed, and he's now got he had Leroy Fur out on the left hand side, which is in his position. He's a, he's good getting in the box, as he showed later on in the game. So I think he's got problems about how he wants to play. If he settles on a system and concentrates on that, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, James, I mean, you, you looked at them yesterday. They match Liverpool in so many areas, and, and clearly they're, they're very sharp in front of goal. They scored four. Um, <laughs> you know, nice if they didn't score them in their own goal. But, I mean, you, you looked at them, and it looks to me as if they've got enough talent, but they're a little bit directionless. And I saw the previous week those figures that they'd run as a team, on average, over a kilometre less than the team that ran the most in the, in the division. And do you, do you want, does that show uh, the sign of a side that's not working for the manager? No, I think it shows a sign of a side, and I think Stuart makes a, a good point, really, that's not quite organised. I don't think they really know their, their roles so far. And I think, you know, Harry Redknapp's biggest problem, he doesn't know his best side. And I think as a manager, you know, we're, we're getting into the season now. There's eight games gone. There's only 38 games in a Premier League season now. And if you're... So far, coming into October, nearly November, and you don't know your best side, I think that spells trouble, and I think it's going to be a long season for QPR. Stuart, does that characterise Darry's career a little bit? You get the feeling that often when he put his team out on the pitch, after 20 minutes they'd be playing a completely different shape. There was a sense of the players that are working out for themselves and they're clearly not working it out at QPR. No, I, I, I would disagree in some ways because when Harry Redknapp's had success, it's been when he's stuck with a system and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. He needs mm. to go back to a system. Remember when West Ham played with three at the back and five in midfield and, and Di Canio was playing off the, off the front player? 
you knew exactly how they were going to play. They played it right from the top, right through the youth sides, right down into the academy. And they were outstanding at that particular time. They didn't always win the games because they didn't have the best players, but they put in good performance. When Tottenham were playing well, you almost knew what side he was going to put out and they stayed with the same shape. So they got some sort of consistency. Then when you've got that consistency, every so often, like Liverpool did last year, you tinker slightly with it when the opposition seemed to know what you're doing. But at the moment, it goes from one team to the next team to the next formation from week to week, depending on how they played the previous week. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. James, do you, th- do you see Harry last in the season? Do you see him last until Christmas? There's lots of rumours swirling. Our own Gary Jacob has written that he's, um, he's on the way out and that Tony Pulis is in the frame to replace him. What do you think? Well, I, t- I, t- I totally agree with that, really. I think if you look at it and look where QPR now, I think Harry's somebody that if he reads it and thinks oh, this isn't going to go my way I think he'll he'll walk at his stage in, in his career and I think Tony Pulis would be the perfect man to come in and he'll know he'll, he'll organise him at the back he'll uh, make him very very solid in, in midfield hard to beat and he will know his best team so it, that would not surprise me one little bit Has Harry Redknapp got an ally though? Who, who does Tony Fernandez listen to? He's now brought Les Ferdinand onto mm. the sort of advisory capacity well who's taken uh, Les Ferdinand around it's been Harry Redknapp who's given him a job in, in many places so is he backing Harry Redknapp in the board well no. uh, apparently there's a boardroom split and some of the boards would like Tim Sherwood to replace Harry and others it's like Tony Pulis do, do you think Tim Sherwood would be a good fit there uh well, he's obviously it, it, Les Ferdinand might be pushing for that because Les Ferdinand mm-hmm. was obviously the assistant manager under Tim Sherwood. I, I'm not sorry. I, sh- I saw enough of what Tim Sherwood was about at Spurs. I mean, he he spoke uh, quite aggressively in the press, but that's not what's going to make you a good manager or not. He was another one who changed the system. They played a ridiculously high offside line. That must have been coming from him, which Tottenham got caught out on many many occasions. So I didn't see enough of him to say that he's the man to save QPR from relegation. Fabregas. Yes, again, touch back from Oscar, chance for Fabregas! Oh, that is a wonderful goal for Chelsea. Superb interplay, cutting Crystal Palace apart. And Fabregas scores his first Premier League goal for nearly four years since a goal against Chelsea for Arsenal in December 2010. Let's talk about the other end of the table. Let's talk about Chelsea. Um, there's been people saying in the last couple of weeks, making outrageous comments like they could be the new Invincibles. James? I can't see that. You know, I tipped them to win the league before the start of the season and I still think they will do. I think there's only Man City that really can you know, drag them back now. Invincibles, I just think that the Premier League is so strong. I think it'll be very, very hard, especially with the European competition as well, to go uh, unbeaten. I'm sure your Liverpool will score a few goals past them once uh, Mr Balotelli gets going. Well, hopefully with a bit of luck. <laughs> I don't know, the Invincibles, listen, it's October. If you get to March and you're unbeaten, maybe, but yeah. it's, it's too early to call Couldn't that. agree more. Couldn't agree but more. But they are the side that have got the balance right. You know, yeah. when you watch them, def- I saw them last season when they weren't playing quite so well. Some of their defensive displays were brilliant, you know, and, and I'm not talking about the back four, I'm talking about Willian. Oscar, Schurler, people like that that do the, the ugly side of the game so well and you wouldn't have believed when Oscar came to Chelsea that he'd be able to run around and get his foot in that's what Mourinho brings to, a, to a, a team, he makes sure that when they haven't got the ball they also stay alive and they defend with the, with, with everything and they counter attack at pace. Well that, that's a really good point Stuart, you know and, and I think for me, I looked at the team a Mourinho team that thought Oscar won't work Fabregas won't work and they're working beautifully aren't they James? 
They are indeed. You know, if you look at the Fabregas' goal, yeah, it's absolutely stunning. You know, one-touch football and a great finish. Mm. I just think, you know, we talk back to, to being organised and knowing your best team. Marino's got that. I, I think he planned this season, last mm. season, really. Mm. You mm. know, he's looked so far ahead and, and worked it out. Two sides of football. One's when you've got the ball. One's when you haven't got the ball. It's as simple as that. And, you know, if you look at Liverpool last year, excellent when they had the ball. But when they didn't, it probably cost them a little bit. Chelsea have got that balance absolutely right. You know, they can score, they can create, but they're also very, very difficult to And you t- go, we talk about Fabregas. Now, the best thing that could happen to Fabregas is that Mar- he's gone to Chelsea and Mourinho. Because Mourinho will make sure that he does the defensive side of the game. He'll give him that responsibility and tell him exactly what he's got to do defensively as one of the, the two central midfield players. At Arsenal, he was allowed to flit in and out the game and run forward and not recover enough. At Barcelona, he sort of played as a number 10, a false number nine so he didn't do the other side of the game now he's going to be the complete midfield player because the Barcelona they couldn't find a position for him for Spain they couldn't really find a position for him they can't ever say now that he can't defend as a, as a normal midfield player well you know talking about dominant players and he's out now but Diego Costa James what do you make of him as a striker what do you what do you think oh he's been superb isn't he if you, if you look at his all-round game he's got every club in the bag and he can come short he can hold it up he can run in behind and he's got a hunger to score goals and I think he's brave as well I think he gets in where it hurts you know there's a couple of times where he's just nicked in before the goalkeeper when maybe a couple of um the breaks would have come on and and this that and the other listen it's a long season, you know, I'm sure he'll have a little spell where he goes a few games without scoring goals, but, you know, he looks a real deal. I, I think, you know, going back there to replace Frank Lampard, which would have been a big blow, I think Fabregas has come in and, you know, done that job as well. And, you know, they, they've picked a the centre forward that they've needed. Mm. And Stuart, Crystal Palace, you think they put up a good fight? They did put up a good fight. They've got some uh, some talented players. Balassi out on the left-hand side, punching on the right-hand side, you know, Campbell up front. But I also think of Neil Warnock. When is he going to start looking at the game as a whole rather than just referees? You know, he's going to give the players excuse after excuse after mm. excuse, blaming referees. At some point, I want to hear him talk about the football game. Or does he not know the, that side of the game? Does he not know the, the tactical side of the game? Does he not know why his side have lost games other than it's the referees' fault? Well, interesting, there was talk of him last week. He was saying he, he doesn't want to move upstairs. He doesn't want to move into a director of football role. And do you think there's a sense about him, James, that he knows his time's come and gone? And I think he'll relish, you know, managing in the Premier League I think he's got a great opportunity where he looked like his managerial career was over and all of a sudden he's he's back in the Premier League where where everybody wants to be really and, and I'm sure he'll make the most of it as only last week I think he was nominated for manager of the month mm. so listen losing at home to Chelsea is no big deal as well but you know I've, I've played under Neil Warnock I know him quite well and you know, yeah he does act up on the touchline and he kicks every ball but he'll he'll make sure in training that every player knows what he what he wants from Does them. he ever have an altercation with them come on um, that's a good question. That is one or two, but I just put my head down really and just tried to uh, <laughs> wise thing to do. Probably, yeah, his man management skills are very, very good. Mm. I'll say that he, he knew when to give someone a kick up the backside and, and knew when to put his arm around him. <laughs> how, how do you think Neil would have reacted if he would have been in church of Sunderland's? He got beat 8 0 at the weekend by Southampton. He, he would have probably had people up against the wall, I'd have thought afterwards. <laughs> Slid down the line here. This is Tadic and Mane, 8-0. At times, these two teams appear to be from different divisions. Next season, they could well be. Stuart, I mean, given the side you played for, I'm sure you were never on the tail end of a chasing like that. 
Uh, no, I think we got I got beaten five a couple of times when uh, I was playing for Arsenal. We got beaten five nil at Tottenham uh, the week before the cup semi final. And uh, when I was at West Ham, we were four nil down at half time to Everton uh, when they were the champions. But I looked at that Sunderland side. They looked dev- devoid of organisation. They did look devoid of effort at times. And there's no question about it. Some of their players gave up in the second half. They really did. They showed no effort to recover. They made poor decisions about where they should be defending. Sometimes, and there was one where John O'Shea, for one of the goals, he actually t- he actually grabbed the centre forward and took him out the way as if to say, I don't want to be involved in this guy. If I get further out the pitch, and no one's going to blame me. It was a, it was a unbelievable what I was seeing. James, are you surprised that Poirier is still there? Because there was a, there was a point just about ten games from the end of last season when it all looked to have fallen apart up there at the stadium of light, and then remarkable they, they managed to stay up, but it, it didn't bode well for this season, did it? The, the, the meltdown in the spring. No, but you know he did pull off the great escape, didn't he, last season when he looked absolutely dead and buried. But I, I think Saturday's defeat that that is an awful defeat. Mm. That that takes a lot of coming back from the mentality to turn that around on the training ground today. You know they'll be showing that game for years now, eight nil. I think it was the, the Ipswich Man United game, which was nine nil, which is a record. So you know, it shows you how uh, rare a defeat that is. Uh, you know I quite like Poy. I think he's a good manager. I think he gets his teams playing. I think he gets. Uh, you know if you look at the way he turned Connor Wickham around last season, I quite like the way he did that. But I think now he's almost gone back to square one again, and he's got to do it all over again. And did know, he in his press conference at any stage look at himself well i don't think he did you know and if you're a manager you've got to look at the the way you've set the players up you've also he wasn't at fault of course for for lots of things that happened but he was at fault for some of it he's the person in charge of of the tactics they were going to use there was no pressure on the ball in midfield that that, i mean every time the ball was switched there was a 2v1 on the outside on against the fullbacks so he has to at some point take some responsibility and look at himself but all he's doing at the moment from in the press interviews is looking at the players and saying that some of these players they're going to have to go into a room and watch a video and they're going to have to watch it over and over again and I won't be there I think it was one of the things he said you know that's a, that's a real mm. worry but the thing is too, like you say there were 3-0 down at half time mm. so you'd come in at half time and think right we've got to stop this mm. we've got to organise this and then to lose another five goals in the second half what on earth happened at half time mm. well, well, how does it feel so, I mean you know, so, so, most of us will never be in a dressing room at the high levels that you've played uh, you know it's, uh, how does it feel when you're in that sort of three nil down, and you've got to get a grip on it. Is, is there recriminations? Is there anger? Is there, you know, sort of is there a great sense of all pulling together? Or does it depend on the people you've got around you? Well, it's, it's a bit of everything, really. I think you go in and you fear at first. You fear, Christ, what's the manager going to say? You're worried about the uh, the reaction of the crowd, um, even if you're away or at home, and you're just thinking, right, we need to damage limitation here. You know, we need to stop the rot let's get out of here let, let, let's get through the game and we'll go back and, and talk about it in the week but you know that's what I'm just saying coming at 3-0 down you think right whatever happens we're rolling the sleeves up here and having a go and you know even if we lose 3-0 at least the second half it's 0-0 and, we, and we've sort of stopped the rot but to go out and concede another five goals the way they did I mean, the, the example, the worst example was Catamol when he, just after they'd conceded, I don't know, the, the sixth, yeah. the seventh, the ball gets played into him, he loses it, he looks across at the bench, stops running, and they go and score again. And he mm. looks as though, you know, if Catamol is always being held up as an example that he's somebody that'll always give his 100%, he'll, he'll be too uh, overcommitted at times, he'll commit too many fouls. He didn't even do that. I mean, there was another goal that when the ball was switched out and he was, found himself in the, the right-back position. He didn't close the ball down. He stood five yards off, let the, let the player cross the ball. 
and that that that's one of your leading players was was behaving like there's something wrong at Sunderland if that's going to take place. Yeah. Well, we have to give Southampton some credit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I was one of those who thought they'd really struggle this year. I thought they got rid of the best players. Actually, they kept the best player, Morgan Schneider. Mm-hmm. And they've also got a very, very good side. Well, where would they finish, James? I think they'll finish just above mid-table, really. I think if you look at them, you know, confidence is high. I think they've got a manager that comes in. If you listen to him, you know, he talks really, really mm. well, Ronald Koeman. And he, he's been successful in Holland as well before he'd come to Southampton. So, you know, I, I don't think it was... We, we all looked at Southampton in the summer and thought, what are they doing? You know, they, this is just committing suicide here but I think there was a little bit of a method to it as well if you look at the players that they got you know maybe uh, you know they saw Liverpool coming on one or two signings as well that's for sure (laughs) and he's he's kept the hunger of the side as well because I think that's what he would probably be worried and that's what the Southampton board would worry about suddenly their best players were being uh, linked with everybody and, and even Snyderlin has been linked with, with everybody. Do the players then lose their focus? Do they lose their hunger? Do they lose their appetite to play for your club? And I think that's why they sold them at a good price and the players they've brought in are playing with that hunger. And that was, that was as good a performance as you'll see in terms of winning the ball back and the creativity when they had it. Arsenal, they've been spotty to say the least. Mm. But... It strikes me that one of the positive things is they've got a goal scorer in Danny Welbeck, yep. and that's going to turn out really well. But why are they so inconsistent, and why are they so incoherent at times? Uh, there's a good reason for that: is that they don't do enough tactical work on the training field. All their training is about playing short, uh, small-sided games, playing at high intensity. They talk about the creative side of the game. They don't work defensively. So when things aren't going right on the ball and when things when they are being counter-attacked they don't know about decision making there was a great example for the for the second goal where Monreal I know he's out of position at centre half and Wilshere are not quite sure whether to go with the run of the of the midfield player so Monreal stays in the middle Wilshere can never catch him up so the cross comes in and then Mertesack is beaten in the air um, by by the centre forward Hernandez so those little things will always take place unless you do a lot of good defensive work and you have some drills and you have some understanding of what you're looking for Arsenal a very good creator. They've got two excellent players. Sanchez can run with a ball. He can twist and turn. He's got dynamism. And Danny Welbeck's a good signing because, he again, he can run in behind people. He's got good strength. He's much quicker than people gave him credit for. And he's now shown that he can be a good finisher as well. But if you don't do the other side of the game and the things we talked about, Mourinho getting right, the balance right, Arsenal will always just be below those top sides. James, we mentioned Morgan Schneiderland uh, earlier on. Should Arsenal have put the money on the table and paid for him and got him, would he have made a huge difference to them? Because they struggle in the holding role in the midfield. Well, they're crying out for a player, aren't they? You know, it, it's, it beggars belief, really, that everybody can see it, bar Arsene Wenger. So, and I just think, one, you know, it's going to be a season where Arsenal are going to catch a cold. They're, they're, even if they're, I know they scraped into fourth this season, but if you look at the Besiktas game, was it mm. at home? The, yeah, they were When lucky, they qualified, yeah. they were mm. lucky. And I just think it just takes one season just to drop out of there. You can see Manchester United, they've dropped out of it. And now hard it is for them to get back and the money they've spent and it's still not going to guarantee them to get into fourth and I just think if Arsene Wenger doesn't get that right in the next six to nine months I think Arsenal but it's might not struggle. just about buying players it's about doing work yeah, on the yeah. training field you know they could, Arsene Wenger could go and buy the best four uh, defenders in the world if they haven't got any sort of understanding of what they're trying to do whether they're trying to drop off whether they're trying to squeeze up who covers who they're always going to have a problem I, so I have a nervous breakdown watching Arsenal all the mm. time it really frustrates me both full backs bomb forwards mm. and leave the centre-halves on an island and then you've got then in some games you've got Arteta as the holding midfield player yeah. who 
I'm not sure James could probably run a little bit quicker than him now. You know, he, he just can't move uh, Arteta. So as a holding midfield player, you need people that can get out and defend in wide areas if the fullbacks, if they have to get out and defend, uh, cover the fullbacks. Or if the centre half goes out there, they have to be good enough in the centre half position. So when the ball comes in the box, they can head it away or, or deal with the centre forward. Arteta can't do any of those. And Flamini, likewise, is no longer athletic enough. What about Hull? I mean, the cup final, Saturday, what have they got to do to be Arsenal, you know? I, I sense, certainly in the cup final, and also on, you know, sort of at the Emirates, a certain lack of conviction towards the end, where you think if they would have pushed on and carried on doing what they'd done, they would have beat Arsenal. Do you think it's a, one of those things which small clubs struggle with? It's a... It's a how are we talking about Arsenal being poor defensively? It's a difficult place to go, the Emirates, because the pitch is massive. And everyone sort of says, oh, it's, uh, the crowd aren't particularly noisy. What they do, uh, Arsenal, they get onto the referee about time-wasting. They get onto the referee about every ta- tackle. Arsene Wenger doesn't do too much coaching from the side, but he's on mm. at the fourth official. Yep. And they get lots and lots of decisions, so the ball keeps being played into the opponent's box. They can't get out. And that's what happened the other the, uh, the Emirates. And Hull, in the end, didn't defend quite well enough. They defended well for most of the game, but... Hull didn't play as well as I've seen them play on other occasions when they've come to the Emirates. They they beat Arsenal two one uh, mm. when Phil Brown was the manager. Yeah, they've also played very well in that first half in the FA Cup where they actually dominated the game. Arsenal dominated the game in terms of the possession. They just didn't create enough opportunities and didn't take their opportunities. Well, let's talk about uh, the other North London sides who obviously were at the Etihad to play Manchester City in a game that appeared to be sponsored by Chris Waddle. Penalties all over the place. You know, people not scoring them. City are a good. Sides, aren't they? They should be doing better. It strikes me that they switch off in periods of the game and let people back in before they've killed it off. Is this a a reasonable perception of them, or am I getting the wrong end of the stick? No, I think think it's a very good analysis of them. I think they're on on their day, they're as good as anyone. But like I said, I think you've hit the nail on the head. They do seem to turn off, and even against Tottenham. You know they, they they thumped Tottenham in the end, but if you look at the chances Tottenham had, I know they missed a penalty, and possibly you know the game could have turned around and been on its head. You know a team who would have been defensively better than you know we we talk about defending all morning here could have gone to Man City and got a point, and teams have done that this this season. Just think. Man City just have a little bit of a soft underbelly that that Chelsea don't. And I think that's why Chelsea will pip them. What about Everton? For the first time this season, he clicked. You've got Ross Barkley, who obviously everyone is talking up. He was playing that number 10 position on Saturday, and he was he was excellent. Roberto Martinez seemed to have lost his way a little bit, James, in the early part of the season. The Derby at Anfield, he's got Lukaku, who's, and he's got two centre-halves who are terrified of the ball dropping out the air, and he pushes them out wide on the wing. I think sometimes he's a little bit clever for his own goods, and do you think going back to basics is the best thing for Everton? I think so, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, if you look at Everton and you look at Martinez... Even if he's in these Wigan days, they play some lovely, lovely football, but they conceded too many goals, and, and Wigan got relegated, and that, that's the reason why, because they were, you know, we talk about it again, so expansive, and, and just not closing the ball down well enough, getting organised, getting players back. Um, I do think they've been a little bit, I thought they were unlucky at Old Trafford, I thought mm. they should have got a point yeah, there. Yeah, very much so. They've got good, good players, you know, Ross Barkley is a great player, Lukaku is a real, real handful. If they gain, they can organise that midfield. Because I actually do think they've got a back four that, that can defend. 
and be harder to break down, harder to be. I think Everton can push on, you know, but you've got to be careful in the Premier League because if you lose ground, it's very, very hard to make it up. Let, let, let's, uh, you were at Burnley, weren't you, James? Turf Moor. Yeah. What, what were they like? I mean, it, it looks like one of those horrible years. Yeah, it, it is going to be a long season. And, you know, at this moment in time, you, you can't see them staying up what I would say is they played exceptionally well especially first half and they should have been a goal two goals up you, you've got to take your chances at the top level and they just don't seem to be able to score goals Burnley that, that's their problem and you know you're always going to be open to conceive there are two or three chances in the first half where they need to take their chances and if they could have got in front maybe a goal got two goals up, it would have been a different story but effort energy level the crowd were behind them it's a typical team that had been promoted everybody was pulling in the same direction to be fair Sean Dyche I don't think he could have got any more out of his players but I just think West Ham had that quality that you needed the, the one thing league. that stood out in the game was the crossing ability or the crosses the quality of crosses that came in from both sides you know mm. it's still a vital part of football getting good crosses into the box, getting players running into the box and getting in, getting good headers in. It was outstanding in that game. But as one as one lad, as as um a left back for West Ham, I've seen quite a bit of the last two or three seasons because he came from Ipswich, Cresswell, oh, yeah, there, yeah. who's he's actually a scouser. I think he's a big Liverpool fan, but he's a. Uh, he had an excellent game at the weekend, put a great ball in for Sacco for the first goal, and he could be one that, if he carries on and carries on, could be one to keep an eye out. Well, you know, Allardyce seems to have turned around at West Ham. You know, they were talking about before the season, they, they were demanding better football, They were he was on his way out. I, I've never had a problem with Sam Allardyce's football. He always plays to a plan. It's not just hit and hoof. And, you know, I, I was over at uh, Upton Park when they beat Liverpool, and they, they, they've got... A lever, a lever piece. They get get the ball wide and they swing the ball in. Valencia looks like a good player. Um, they they look like a side who could finish easily in the top ten. Well, he's already said, hasn't he, that he thinks they should have more points than what they have. You know, they're up to fourth at the moment. I think the big problem is is when Andy Carroll comes back. What's mm. Sam going to do then? Is is he going to put Carroll back in? Is he going to keep it as it is? Uh, you know, he's got some big decisions to make. All of a sudden, you know, Valencia and Saka have, t- have turned what, that team around. What he, I, I've got nothing wrong with direct football, but he didn't play direct football very well last year because mm. the, when you play direct football, you've got to have people in the areas where you're going to be playing into. And last year they had Andy Carroll up front by himself. The wide players were often back in defensive positions, so when they were playing the ball up to Andy Carroll, they couldn't get any support, so they'd mm. give the ball away cheaply. Now they're often playing with two up front and Valencia sort of comes in off, off one of the wings. But they're playing with more. So when the ball does get played forward and they do get hold of it, now when they start to pass it, they're passing it in the top third of the field and they're getting the ball wide and getting crosses in. So they're getting players in the right areas to cause problems. It's more like the, the, the direct gate style of football that Graham Taylor would play many years ago, mm. which was effective. And it was getting the ball forward early, getting it into wide areas, getting quality crosses in and getting players running into the box. They're doing it well at the moment, West Ham. Well, I've left this game to last because, I mean, part of me just thinks, oh, no, not again. Stoke Swansea. You've got the Victor Moses instant, the penalty, Gary Monk going off on one, you know, saying that, that, that obviously the penalty was, it was a dive, it was, mm. you know. But the question I ask, we, we have this conversation, oh, well, probably once a month about diving. 
what can you do about it? The referee made a mistake. I mean, what what can you, what can you really do about it, James? Well, there's not a lot you you can do really, unless you're going to use video evidence on a Monday morning to to ban people. Really, that that's I think the only answer out of it. I think we've we've got so as a game now, whistle happy. Any little touch mm. or mm. it's a free kick. It's so it's going to encourage that to happen. Mm. You know, back in the seventies and eighties, it, it didn't happen because players got away with it. Or, or if you went down, you wouldn't get a free kick. So. Mm. All of a sudden, it's massively in favour with the attacker, knowing any little touch here, I can go down. And, you know, we call it diving. You know, people are doing what, what they can to win a game of football, really. Can you really blame them? The game has to be more physical. You yeah. know, and you, you look at the goal that uh, Diame scored for Hull. It's probably a foul. But Arsenal's players, you know, oh, there's a touch on the shoulder. That must be a free kick. Mm. I'm going to give up on it. Murtisaka doesn't chase. Yeah. Flamini turns around to re- the referee. Instead of getting onto the ball, centre-halves chasing back towards their own goal. They almost wait for a little nudge in their back, go down, and the referee automatically blows for a, for a free kick. You know, uh, James is a coach. I've been a coach. You're the referee every day in training. You don't have a whistle in your mouth, but you're controlling the sessions. And you just let play go yeah. on. And you get a much better yeah. game because of it, rather than every player going down easily, knowing they're going to get a free kick. Because if the referee was in the studio now, he would actually say, well, he did touch him. Yeah. You know, that, that would be his excuse. Mm. And he would, well, you know, this is why I gave a penalty. because, But, you know, until we sort of clamp down on this, that... If you do touch someone, well, you know, it's not a free kick. You play on, you know, unless it's you, you're deliberately trying to bring somebody in down. But like I say, the game needs to get tougher. Well, yeah, it seems to me it's a consequence of taking the physicality out of the mm. game. I mean, and, and Gary Monk can complain all he likes. But even if, James, on a Monday morning, they suspend players and they're not going to take the three points away. And that's the problem. Uh, and the it? other problem is... You know, you, everyone looks at Moses because it's a penalty. What about everywhere else on the field that there's a there's a players yeah. are going down so yeah. easily? You know, yeah. every, every sort of oh, five minutes a player's throwing himself to the ground and getting a free kick, but because it's in a less dangerous area, no one talks about that. That's yeah. now that's okay. But once it comes in a, into a penalty box, then it all changes. It's almost obscured. Well, what was a reasonable game? Mm. You know, and, um, and and a good performance by Stoke. Yeah, good performance by Stoke and Swansea for the first twenty minutes, half an hour, played some of the best football you'll see. Some of their combination yeah. play to get into the box uh, was outstanding, and Stoke had to fight themselves back into the game. They played some good counter-attacking for uh, some play with Moses, uh, a key part of that. With he's running with the crowd still doing well in the air and holding up the play, so it was a good game spot by um, the players and the referee. I, I, I've enjoyed Swansea this year. At times in the not-too-distant past, they weren't direct enough. They passed the ball around nicely and they keep possession. But now it's all with a purpose. They're all trying to get in. Uh, have you been impressed with them, James? If you look what Swansea have done, you have to admire them. What the, the philosophy that they've built in that football club over the last four or five years where they come in, they play a, you know, virtually the same system, they play through midfield. It is great to watch. You know, you, The key is that you don't pass for the sake of it. You have a little bit of a... Um, a direction to your plan. I think Gary Monk's done that. I think he's identified that and think, right, when we get the ball, we're going to play with a purpose. And, and I uh, think they've got a, a player. He, he didn't succeed at Tottenham for whatever reason, but yeah. verging on, on, on greatness at times. And that's Sigurdsson. I saw him play for Iceland against uh, the Dutch. He was at, he scored both goals, but that was only part of it. His understanding of the game, where to pass, when he did the defensive side of the game, he had to do against Holland, but he's still a clever, clever footballer. Right, we're going to go on to a debate, which actually was kicked off by a column I wrote last week, uh, which was written in rage after um, Greg Dyke came out and gave us his proposals for the future of the England game. It was full of buzzwords and jargon, lack detail, and uh, 
it's a classic big ideas but real no ideas i don't see there's a coherent thought process in english football about developing the, the, the future of the game i think there's an element of monkey see monkey do being in it over the years i mean remember the ajax way mm. and everyone was doing it the ajax way and then they built clairefontaine and as i've seen george's park and then then all of a sudden it was barcelona we've got to be like barcelona tiki taka and then oh dortmund's james you're a youth coach am i wrong no you're not actually um I think if you look in the FA, I think now we, we you know, Gareth Southgate's uh, trying to put a lot of work into now getting an identity with the England youth teams up till 21, um, which I think is slowly happening. The problem that we are, we're always playing catch up and we're always trying to copy people. Like I say, we, you know, everybody, I work in the, the academy system, the EPPP, everybody wants to play like Barcelona. Now, all of a sudden, people have worked out how to play against Barcelona. Well, we're now moving on to the next bit. Can we be like Bayern Munich now where we're hard to beat and this that and the other so you know the English game it, it will debate it for years and years and years won't we? we you know it just doesn't seem to be you know to get it right what there is at the moment there's a lot of money into the game so what we have to make sure is that money's put into the right areas the problem with the English game for 40 years has been the FA mm. the FA are in charge they decide what the coaching plan is they put on all the coaching plans, which the coaches have to take to get their badges. Now, I'll ask James the question. When you went to those coaching courses, were you inspired or did you just have to get your badge? Were you actually inspired by what you were being taught? There is a, you know, there's a massive thing that people go on there because they want the qualification because you now can't get a job unless you get that qualification i actually and and to be fair when i did one of my qualifications there was a the ex cambridge manager john beck was on there go back to john beck the style of football he played at cambridge why is he on but i actually got close to him and, and picked his brains on it and and learned a lot mm. through him it wasn't through the fa manual mm. or handbook but it was very very stereotyped i'm actually on to do my a license in the summer so i might be able to answer the question better in nine months time to see how that goes because but i think we are now better producing better technical players mm. there's no question about that because they've talked about you know more time on the ball small side again that that part of it's but but i'm looking at, at games now and i'm looking at youth team uh, i'm looking at pundits i'm looking at, at most people that I, I, I see in football do we understand the tactical side of the game and i don't i don't think we still do because that's not being taught by the FA anymore it's all about the technical side of the game but the tactical side of the game and if Gab Marcotti was here you know, when, he, when he wrote his book with Viali the Italians are always looking at the tactical side of the game how can they create space how can they create an overload here in England we don't do any of that so the players when, when I went from youth team coaching to first team coaching I was shocked at how much I then had to teach the first team players about the tactical side of the game the theory of the game because they didn't know it and they, they were some of those were international footballers and when we're talking about whether it be attacking side of the game or the defensive side of the game we had to re uh, reteach the players all about the, the theory of how we should be playing well that's one of the things that actually annoyed me because in the dyke proposals it seemed to be simply more 3G pitches and more coaches. Well, well a couple of things uh, are problems there. It's, it's, it depends on the coaches you're getting. One, the FA are using the coaching system. It's more expensive to get a coaching mm -hmm. badge here than anywhere anywhere else in Europe. But just stop with there, Tony. I'm doing my A licence in the summer. It's £5,500. Now, you see, uh, uh, that's just a way of raising money. It's nothing to do yeah. with producing good coaches. And then the other thing that bothered me is, come back to what you were saying, Stuart, there the, the, the seems to be no 
focus on how, getting people how to play. And what is one of the reasons for this is the Premier League and the way it is. It's you know the hurly burly of it. It's mm. manic. It's people don't put I, the no, foot I don't on think, the ball. I, I think that the, the people in charge. And, and James has just mentioned Gareth Southgate there. Now, I listen to Gareth Southgate because I've been quite critical of him in the past. So I now listen to everything that he comes up with and he says. And I hear him talking about getting the continuity, going to tournaments, players have got to come. Uh, we've got to play through the th- thirds. I've never heard him explain how they're going to play through the thirds. And when I watch the England youth teams and the England under-21s, I realise they don't know how to play out from the back. They know how to switch play around the back, but they don't know how to create space in front. I watch a lot of Juventus, and they're the best coach team in Europe because they know exactly what their game plan is. They know how to get the ball into the front player. They know how to come out from the back because PLO will move out the way and they'll leave space to roll the balls into the front. Then they have different movement off that. We're asking our back players to play out from the back, and our midfield players come back and try and get the ball off them. So when they then play the ball forward, they're outnumbered in the forward areas and there's no space to roll balls into the front players. Now, that's not the players' fault. That's the coaching department's fault. You know, and, and I still don't hear anybody coming up with theories. The only person I listen to and, and, and really un- know he understands his game is John Cartwright, who was blacklisted by the FA because he challenged them time and time again when he worked at the FA. And he's the best coach I ever worked with, best tactical coach, the best technical coach I ever worked with. But he's blackballed by the FA because he challenged them at all levels. We talk about needing an identity. And you do need an identity. But are we looking for it the long, wrong way? I mean, for example, I see clubs where they say we're going to play 4 3 3 all the way through the age groups. And you look at some of the teams they've got, and they've got players who are patently not suited to that system. Mm. Yet they're forcing them into that, that, that round hole, the square pegs. Should we take a step back, James? And should we say, what do English players do well? Let's get them doing that. Let's get them doing more of it, and let's improve the technique on top of that. Well, I think the um, the key to it is to do a bit of everything. I think, to, to, like Stuart says, we 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 don't. I don't think. I, uh, looking back at my own career, was I really coached tactically? I don't think so. I think it was all four four two. I think we've moved on now, but it's all now four three three, and everybody's playing the same. You know, Louis Van Gaal comes in here, and it's right. I want to play with this, or I might change it here. And I think to myself, well, how many? kids through the Manchester United Academy would have played as wing-backs or would have played as three centre. I bet none of them. So it's all foreign to them. So, you know, I know at Ajax, the Ajax method is that players play in different formations, they play in different positions, so they appreciate. Go back to what you say, sir. I, I see academy football every week yet. Every weekend, everyone's playing out from the back. They play out from the back, but no one knows what the next pass is. No, mm. so it's now. I, a sort went, of a I went to watch Tottenham's academy, oh, maybe four years. Nothing against Tottenham's academy, and the coaches from the side. And one of them was was a big part of the FA when they were. They kept saying, "Play out, pass it out the back, throw it out to the." Then the centre half was getting it. There was no movement from for him. So problem. so he's getting closed down. He's giving the ball away. The, the opposition has scored, and they're saying, oh, "No, you got to do that better." No, it wasn't his fault. It was what was going on around it. They didn't understand how they created space to, for him to find that next pass. How they could step into midfield at the right time. There was no education when I played for England, and it's the only education I had about playing out from the back. When I played for the England youth side for for two years, John Cartwright was the coach, and we worked at it every training session. How we were going to get and the opposition. Went, when you played against European teams, they played with three up front against the back four as we played. But I, I played as the sweeper. But it was 
how we were going to create space, how the midfield players ran away from us. So we now played four against three in, in uh, a massive area, which we, we should easily have done, and we knew how to, how to do that. But I don't see anybody doing that now. Well, why is it like this? I mean, you know, we sit there and we say this, and you can see it. You can see the lack of movement mm. in front of the defensive players when they've got the ball at the feet. You know, why, why are we seeing that in the coaches' hands? Well, I think it's. I think everyone's seeing it, but like you say, it's identifying and it's how, right. How are we going to work it out then? You've got to coach with freedom, and I, I think there's mm. there's so many people that this is what you've got to do, and you mustn't do this now. You know, if if all of a sudden you have a centre half who's not comfortable at the back, well then don't throw it out the back. Mm. Go, go forward, mm. go into your centre forward because what I see now is I see loads of centre forwards who can't hold the ball up because they never get the ball. Mm. But by the time it comes into them, they've had twenty passes. Mm. So, you know, I think you, you need to coach with freedom. I think you need to you need to let the players express themselves. You need to let the coaches express themselves as well. And sometimes just let the kids go out and play. Yeah. So essentially, be pragmatic. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM, do so immediately or I'll come looking for you. Well, many thanks to my guests today, Stuart Robson, James Scowcroft. I'll tell you what, I could talk to these fellas all day. So check out the times.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby and cricket highlights. Just search Times Sport online. You'll have Gabriel Marcotti back next week, so you'll have a professional in the chair. But goodbye from me, Tony Evans, and goodbye from Stuart Robson and James Scowcroft. Hope you enjoyed it. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.